Welcome to this episode of Industries in Transition, a holistic look at the challenges, triumphs and lessons learned as businesses drive change to build a sustainable future. Hello and welcome to this special series of podcasts. I'm Manisha Tank and in this episode we're going to talk about how to invest for impact against the backdrop of what's being billed as the decade of delivery find out what that means just ahead. Joining me to discuss sustainable finance and why it's time to get behind it in a big way, Daniel Hanna, Standard Chartered's Global Head of Sustainable Finance, joins me on the line from London. Hey, Daniel, how are you doing? Hi, Manisha. Very well, thank you. Great to be with you. Well, it's always good to talk to you. I'm glad that you're doing well. Congratulations to you and the team. We've seen the publication of this Impact Report 2020 from Standard Chartered. We're going to get into the findings in just a little bit. But first, let's remind ourselves why this conversation is so important. It's August 2020, and in California, more than 15,000 firefighters battle wildfires The smoke billows so far it's detected by scientists in northern Europe. Elsewhere, in Greenland, which has recorded above average temperatures, an ice sheet the size of Paris breaks off into the sea. There are just two more headlines amongst many confirming the need for urgent action on climate change. The story isn't new, however. Back in September 2015, the gavel rang out at the United Nations headquarters in New York when all member nations signed up to the Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs. The list of 17 key targets is a universal call to action to protect the planet and ensure that all people enjoy peace and prosperity by the year 2030. Step in global banks, such as Standard Chartered, whose clients are largely situated in those regions of the world most vulnerable to climate change and social inequality. They're in a unique position to offer investors an opportunity to generate social and environmental impact as well as financial returns. But can it be done fairly and equally? And how do we know it's being done at all? Right, so there we have it. For the first time, we're actually beginning to get an idea of the kind of real impact investing for good can have, particularly when it comes to sustainable finance, thanks to documents like the Impact Report 2020. First of all, Daniel, congratulations, because after all of that engagement, the work, the effort of the team, to see it wrapped up in a document, that must feel pretty good. Thanks, Manisha. I think it really does, because it is a huge effort to effectively pull data from across Standard Chartered's 60 to 70 plus countries and try and consolidate in one place all the impact that we're having across the sustainable development goals and actually put real numbers behind things like the amount of CO2 saved or the amount of people supported through microfinance. So it's been a huge team effort across Standard Charter and a very big thank you to all of those that were involved that are listening. But as you say, it's, it's a really proud moment to get our report out. Oh, that's great to hear. And we're going to get into some of those numbers, which are really impressive just ahead. Before we get into the details, though, when we talk about sustainable finance, what do we actually mean? I think that's a great question. And if anything, I think that's one of the biggest issues in sustainable finance right now is that there is a plethora of definitions out there and various ways to measure it. We're also seeing emerging regulation that is developing this market at a very rapid place. For example, the EU sustainable finance taxonomy. But I'd like to keep it relatively simple. I think sustainable finance really comes down to two things. One, do no harm. And on the other side, do some good. And the key thing to both of those things is showing 
not just that you're making that say nice titles, but they're actually you're able to back it up with real data in terms of the impact that you're having. But say you're an investor, your first question to the likes of, say, Standard Chartered might be, OK, what have you got? What are the options? What are green bonds, for example? What are blue bonds? What are the alternatives that people have? If you look at, I guess, the commonly accepted definition of what's sustainable finance, last year we saw a record-breaking year, $465 billion of sustainable financing occurring, up 78%. And as you say, the largest segment are green bonds, $271 billion issued last year, and we've kind of seen that move forward at a similar pace um, this year. I think there is a few key themes around how this is beginning to shape. The first is we're starting to see the emergence of different shades of green. I think there's a good acceptance, there's the ICMA green bond principles, for example, around what green should look like. But as we try and start helping brown industries or traditional industries transition to a low carbon future, that's obviously something that we want to finance as well. So this concept of transition financing is going to become really important. For example, we did a 10-year transition bond for Castle Peak Power in Hong Kong as an example of that. So different shades of green, I think, is a really important thing to keep in mind. The second one is green goes rainbow. And I think particularly given the focus naturally on COVID this year, there's been a lot more focus around social issues or the broader sustainable development goals out there. So you mentioned blue in terms of sustainable oceans. We did the first blue bond with the Republic of Seychelles a few years ago. But we've also done the first SDG aligned issuances or sustainability issuances for the Thai government in recent weeks. And then this whole issue around COVID financing. One of the things that I've been involved in at Stanchart is our commitment to finance $1 billion in the fight against COVID to companies that are involved in the creation of PPE, drugs, uh, other areas, pharmaceuticals, which we are doing on a non-profit cost-only basis. And we've reviewed $1.4 billion worth of deals in that situation. So that also falls under this sustainable finance. So sort of green goes, rainbow is another one. And then the final thing that's really interesting, I think, is around embedding incentives for change. Traditionally, green bonds, blue bonds, the way that they work is that they focus around the use of proceeds. Where is that money going? Well, we're now starting to see, well, can we incentivize companies and institutions to change towards more sustainable practices by linking that to the price mechanism? So the easiest example I always think about is we did the first Islamic sustainable linked loan a few years ago with DP World, where the cost of the loan goes down as their emissions per TEU, so their emissions per shipment goes down. The more efficient they become, the less environmental impact that they become, the cheaper the loans go. So embedding those incentives for change is another big theme as well. And then there's a plethora of other products. We have SDG aligned deposits, which we launched for our institutional clients and for retail clients in Singapore. And then there's a number of other innovations that are coming all around these themes as well. It is a growing and important area. But I think the key thing for investors, for borrowers and for lenders is that you're not just sort of putting a title on these things, but you're actually showing the underlying impact that you're having as well. I love this idea of green goes rainbow, and I don't take it lightheartedly at all. I think it reflects the diversity of your clients as well, doesn't it? How does it work behind the scenes, so to speak? Do clients come to you or do you reach out to clients? Because this can be a tough area to navigate. Where do people begin? It's a really good question. And it's obviously a bit of both. I think one of our big areas of focus is educating our own bankers 
and then of course our clients as well on the variety of options available but also making sure that everyone is very conscious around this issue of green or SDG washing. There is something real going on. It's not just slapping a different label on it. We've done a lot of training. We have over 800 sustainable finance champions spread across Standard Chartered who go through monthly training on this. We've run a number of internet platform training now for our clients as well to sort of share best practice and examples of what they can do. And we're rolling out a bank-wide curriculum for everyone at Standard Chartered as well. And then there are certain industries where I think for us to achieve the Paris Agreement, we really need to see those industries transition as a whole, whether it's power or infrastructure. These have significant impact on climate at the moment. But I think there are emerging new business models, which mean that you can have a much more low carbon impact. And I think we're developing transition tools and then proactively reaching out to our clients in these industries to say, hey, we can help you transition to this more environmentally friendly process. And we're happy to to finance that process with you. You know, this whole series is about industries in transition. And one of the aspects of that is finding the workforce with the skills and the knowledge that are equipped to make that transition. Slightly out of left field question, but in this quest to educate others, have you yourself faced a challenge finding people who have experience in this field? Because it is a new and nascent area, there are only a sort of a relatively small group of people that have the sort of necessary experience. But also, I think it's the right sort of approach, because I think it is really important that you balance the ability to spot the opportunity to support clients transition over a period of time, but are very conscious and thoughtful around that the underlying science also needs to make sense. We actually do need people to transition. And that's actually a relatively rare combination. But I think there is a growing interest in this space. And I actually think over time, we're not going to talk about sustainable finance. We're just going to talk about finance that is sustainable. That's great stuff. All right, let's get into the report and let's talk about those key metrics. I mentioned earlier that there were some very impressive numbers in the Impact Report 2020. What stood out for you the most? There are some great stats. So, for example, that our portfolio has saved 739,000 tonnes of CO2 avoided this year, which is the equivalent of 217,000 people in low and middle income countries in terms of their annual emissions. Or the fact that we supported 1.3 million people through microfinance. Or if you look at the aggregate portfolio, that actually there is $3.9 billion of funding that we have done over the last 12 months that are aligned to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. What I think really strikes me much more is the individual projects. So, for example, the fact that we have financed a water treatment facility in Zambia where it will provide 1.7 million Zambians every day with clean water. And it's that kind of impact in those kind of places that I'm actually most proud of. Because I think what really differentiates Standard Chartered from actually what a lot is going on in sustainable finance is where it's happening. So 91% of our activity is in emerging market countries, and actually 86% of that is in least lower or lower middle income DAC countries. And this is where we really do need to see the finance shift, not just to support development in those countries, which is obviously a good thing, but also to achieve the Paris Agreement and to achieve the SDGs by 2030. To give you a bit of an example of that, if you have an exactly the same size solar project in France and one in India, the one in India has seven times more impact on climate change. 
And so how we get the vast amount of growing capital that's interested in sustainable finance to move from, say, Lyon to Lucknow, I think is a key challenge for everyone. And I think it's one that we feel in Standard Chartered that we're very uniquely well-placed to kind of support. Is that an easy message to deliver to those who want to invest in sustainable finance, to show them these comparisons and to show this kind of impact that they can have? I'm guessing that documents like this really help. I think the data is is really important. And again, this is one of the big challenges for sustainable finance. Unfortunately, data, particularly in emerging markets, is pretty scant. And that's why, again, I think we're so focused on this impact report, putting out verifiable data reviewed by third-party sustainalytics. So it's not just Standard Chartered saying this, it's someone else that really will then give investors confidence. And actually, it's that kind of transparency and it's that kind of link into impact that led to, I think, a significant amount of investor interest. When we, Standard Chartered, issued our first sustainability bond, it was six times oversubscribed. And the feedback we got from investors was, well, this is a great opportunity to invest through a European, UK-listed institution, but is where the impact is actually happening in emerging markets. And there, frankly, aren't enough opportunities for investors to do that at the moment in a sort of a very robust way. So I think that's why we're keen to continue to expand our ability to connect, if you like, capital flows from one place to driving that capital change in emerging markets. That's great. But I do want to ask if there was anywhere that you hoped to see more improvement. Yeah, look, I think we're scratching the surface, to be honest. If you look at the amount that we need to fund into these markets, it is multiples of what we're doing at the moment. So I mentioned that that $3.9 billion of funding to support the SDGs in emerging markets, that's obviously a, a number we're proud of, but we need to move that number much, much higher. I mean, just to put it into context, you know, we need $3.8 trillion annually to keep global warming to one and a half degrees. And the UN is estimating that the gap to achieve the SDGs by 2030 was 2.5 trillion a year before COVID struck. So I'm not even sure what the calculation would be now. So we have ambition to scale that impact and scale our numbers much, much, much higher. And I think actually we're seeing that kind of growth. It's a big shift that we kind of need to see. So for me, this is the beginning, not the end. Yeah, that's a major multiple to make up by 2030, isn't it? This is being called the decade of delivery. Actually, that's a phrase that I learned from you. (laughs) Well, I know you've coined a way to describe the challenges faced when it comes to sustainable finance. You've called it mobilise, standardise and democratise. Can you walk us through it? It's going to require, obviously, action, not just from Standard Chartered, but from, frankly, everybody. Within sustainable finance, as an industry, if you like, we need to collectively move around three key themes. And for me, that's mobilizing, standardizing, and democratizing. I think there are some good signs. We've obviously seen that record growth in sustainable finance over the last few years, which will continue. That sort of gap to the financing that's required is is really significant. So we really need to see even further capital moving into this space. And we need that capital to move to where it's needed most, the emerging markets, which have, frankly, the biggest risk from climate change, but also the biggest opportunity to leapfrog to low carbon and more environmentally friendly business models. As Africa leapfrogged to uh, mobile phones and skipped mass fixed line, equally, I think the emerging markets have the opportunity to do the same, but it requires capital. So that mobilization is absolutely key. What needs to happen alongside that is standardization. 
sustainable finance is too complicated, too many different definitions, too many different ESG verifiers. We need to bring those together. And we need clear standards. When we get clear standards, there is a significant impact. When the green bond principles were announced and introduced, we then saw a six to sevenfold increase in green bond issuances. Equally, we're working on a number of standards for things like blue bonds or sustainability and social bonds as ICMA has come out. And I think those standards are absolutely key for the functioning of the market. But we also need to democratise the benefits of sustainable finance. While the growth, I think, overall is, is a really encouraging sign, as, and as I mentioned, we do need to mobilise even more. It hasn't yet reached that scale in the markets where it really matters. The fact that the government of France can raise $6.5 billion in green bonds is fantastic. But we need Bangladesh to be able to do the same thing. That's where there is this importance of trying to make sure that the benefits of sustainable finance are open to everyone. We released a report at the beginning of this year called Opportunity 2030, where we showed just across a number of SDGs, the level of opportunity to invest into clean energy, sustainable infrastructure, and the like. And the more that we can create products, standards, and appetite to drive capital to those countries where it really matters, will be the better for the whole planet. But continuing with the democratisation theme, from your position in the industry, given the many meetings that you go to, obviously there are conversations that you have on the sidelines. Do you get that sense that all organisations can work together to do the things that need to be done, for example, improving the data flow to make sure that collectively we can move ourselves in the right direction? What impression do you get? I absolutely think we can. I think the scale of the challenge to do so, I don't underestimate because it requires coordination within the private sector and it also requires coordination with governments and the public sector. There is encouraging signs. I would put a challenge back to the sustainable finance community. I think we're too proud of league tables and overall volumes. Like I said, it is great that we saw a 78% increase year on year last year in sustainable finance. But where is that capital growing. Volume is not the same as impact. What we need to really start focusing on collectively is that that capital is having an impact on climate change, on moving us towards achieving the Paris Agreement to hitting the SDGs by 2030. And there I think we've still got a lot of work to do. Okay, slightly emotive question for you now. I'm curious to know which projects have moved you the most over the last year? The thing that I've been most proud of Standard Chartered on over the last 12 months actually is our commitment around financing a billion dollars to support the fight against COVID and supporting companies that are scaling the access to needed drugs in places like Bangladesh or companies that were switching their production. So for example, there's a Kenyan company that is a steel manufacturer and we've helped them switch to making oxygen tanks or providing necessary PPE. That's been a really important part of how Standard Chartered has contributed to one of the biggest challenges that the planet has potentially ever gone through. Finally, what's the outlook, would you say, for impact investing? It's definitely taking off all over the world, but are we on track to meet the SDGs at the current rate of change? No, we're not on track to meet the SDGs and we're not on track to meet Paris in terms of keeping global warming significantly below two degrees. In fact, we're probably on track for three or four degrees of global warming. And that has some pretty 
devastating implications for a number of countries, particularly in Asia, Africa and the Middle East. So we need to do a lot more to mobilise. But I think the encouraging thing is we have the tools to mobilise that capital. Seeing the level of innovation and speed that this is growing at gives me some hope, if you like. We just need to do a lot, lot more. Well, we'll have to leave it there. I just want to say, Daniel Hanna, Standard Charter's Global Head of Sustainable Finance, thanks so much for joining us from London. Thank you, Manisha. It was a real pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to Industries in Transition, brought to you by Standard Chartered. Supporting clients for over 150 years, Standard Chartered empowers businesses and inspires change through ambitious social and environmental initiatives. Standard Chartered, driving commerce and prosperity whilst contributing to sustainable growth across the world's most dynamic markets.